Hey, welcome to the Crossing Church podcast. You're about to listen to a message from one of our recent meetings, which we trust will bless you. If you're wanting to know more about The Crossing, you can follow us on our social channels or visit thecrossing.org.za. Now lean in and be encouraged by Jesus as you hear his word for you today. You can also drop us a mail at forhim@thecrossing.org.za. The Crossing Church, Christ in us, Christ through us. Great. Good morning, Crossing Church. Lovely to be with you this morning and great to be in your homes. And for those that don't know, my name is Ian and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Katie, and we get to serve on the leadership team at the Crossing Church. Well, I'm excited for this morning. I feel that God has put a a word in my heart to share this morning. I'm going to share it, I trust, with passion and excitement. But most of all, uh, let the Holy Spirit do the work in your hearts um, as you're at home. And uh, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for grace upon us, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the word of God that lives in us, moves through us. And Holy Spirit, right now, we just welcome you with your presence and power in a fresh, mighty way into our living rooms. God, I pray that there would be times of refreshing that would come upon every one of us as uh, as we hear. Even for those who are coming online for the first time, I pray, Lord God, that there would be an awakening and a refreshing by your spirit and by your power. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, I just want to continue from last week and uh, Brad preached beautifully around Acts chapter 9 and the first part of Acts chapter 9. And uh, what I want to do is I just want to go over a few things in Acts chapter 9 around five pillars, five foundations that I believe is so vital to being a courageous church. As you know, we continue in the series of, of courageous church and you say the word courageous, we can try, we can say it, I want to be courageous. But the reality is this, courage comes from being transformed and being encouraged by the Holy Spirit, encouraged by His Word. And this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dive into to the Word of God and we're going to go through it. And I'm going to talk in, around Acts chapter 9 this morning. And uh, some some points that Brad touched on uh, last Sunday and, and massaged in, and I just want to continue on those, which I think is so key, is in order to be courageous as Saul was, in order to be courageous as Peter was in the end of Acts chapter 9, we've got to understand what happened in the life of Saul. And we'll see that in the beginning. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, and uh, a couple of points I'm going to highlight, and then we're going to get to the latter part of Acts chapter 9 together. If you look at Acts chapter 9, verses 15, it says this, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. What I love about that is anyone born of Christ, anyone born in Jesus, I want you to know this morning, you will be and can be an instrument of God to be used powerfully before kings, nations, cities. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your background. We're going to see just now the the past of Saul and what God was able to do through this man as he humbled himself under God's mighty name. There are five strong pillars that I believe are key to walking into a relationship of continued power, of continued boldness and courage. What's courage? Courage has to come from a revelation. It has to come from a transformation by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens, that as we 
as our lives are developed and matured in the Holy Spirit, he's the one that gives courage. He's the one that brings boldness. Um, I mean, you know, look at that. So pillar number one, to set the foundation for the latter part of Acts chapter 9, pillar number one is, comes out of verses 11. And it says that Paul saw he would be praying. Now, I think this is so key that this would mark Paul into his ministry, into the future, that this man was a man of prayer. Let me say this. Whenever he wrote a letter, whenever he wrote an epistle, he always would say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying without ceasing. I'm continuously praying for revelation for you. Paul was a man of prayer. And this marked his, his lifestyle. So it's incredible that his one encounter with Jesus, the first thing that this man is doing is he's praying. And I think this is powerful because what does prayer do? You see, I believe prayer shakes foundations. I believe prayer opens doors of prison doors. Um, I believe that prayer channels um, the course of history. We see it through, through many revivals that prayer has channeled the course of history. Prayer releases angelic hosts and the move of heaven in a mighty way. And uh, I love the scripture that comes out of Jude. It says this, when you pray in the spirit, it builds yourself up in your most holy faith. I've been quite arrested lately. At just to be honest with you, my inconsistency in my prayer life. I want to encourage you, as much as I'm getting encouraged by the Holy Spirit, as I'm sharing this with you, I want to encourage you to allow your prayer life to grow radically, supernaturally in the Holy Spirit. I believe it's the most exciting journey when we start praying God's purposes and God's plans over cities, over nations, over governments, over churches. I believe when we come into alignment with what the Holy Spirit is praying, it's the most incredible journey. Remember this, Romans tells us that in our weakness, when we don't know what to pray, we have one who knows what to pray. He's called God, the Holy Spirit. He knows what's on the mind of the Father. He comes in as we humble ourselves and say, Holy Spirit, I want to pray in accordance with you. What do you want me to pray? And he comes in and he helps us pray. So pillar number one, prayer is key. Pillar number two, we see in verses 17, it says, see again. And nice came and said, Saul, Jesus wants you to see again. And I feel this is very key. And take heart wherever you're sitting. You see, Paul, or somebody rather say Saul, he actually needed to be healed of sight again. Not only physical sight. The truth is this. He was spiritually blinded. So Jesus Christ had to come heal his eyes, heal his, his past history. Remember this, guys, you see, you can be sitting where you are, and the truth is this, you need to be healed of bitterness, of anger, of, of, of unforgiveness, of resentment. The truth is, those things will entangle us and stop us running into everything that God has for us, to run free in his authority. It's amazing. Saul had to first be healed before he could start to minister. He needed his physical eyes restored, and actually he needed his spiritual eyes. Remember this man. He was trained under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the top um, religious teachers of the law. He was his personal uh, tutor. This man was raised in the, the zealous doctrines of the forefathers. He was zealous for the things of, of Old Covenant. He was zealous for the traditions of his father. In fact, 
He was going to Damascus to kill Christians or to kill people who followed Jesus, which, Paul, which Saul saw was a blasphemy against God. This man had a mindset that needed to be healed in order for him to be effective into the ministry, into the nations that God would send him. See, Jesus deals with something in the Gospel of John, and he says to the Pharisees, because you claim you can see, you're actually spiritually blinded. What we've got to do, guys, is we've got to allow Jesus to heal our hearts where there's anger, where there's resentment. You could be right now sitting and there's anger towards your wife or your husband, towards your children, towards family members, towards work colleagues. Bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness will cripple you from walking in power and walking in courage and boldness. So if that's where you are right now, straight away, repent before God and say, God, forgive me. I want to see as you see. Holy Spirit, come and open my eyes so that I can now see the way the kingdom of God sees. Pillar number two was very important. Paul needed to see again. Number three, verses 17, was be filled with the Spirit. Passionate about this, and let me make it emphatically clear. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be bold, you cannot be courageous, you cannot be um, uh, strong in the faith. The key is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his believers who love him, who follow him, and said, you need to wait to be clothed with power from on high. He didn't say salvation. That already happened in the, after the resurrection when Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He says you need to have power now to be my witness. The truth is without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be courageous and we cannot be the witness that God wants us to be. And uh, I always think about Peter and I always have a good laugh. You know, before the Holy Spirit, you know, he denied Christ. He denied that he even knew him. In fact, one of the Gospels tell us that he started to call down curses. Yet, after his resurrection, this man is preaching the gospel in power. 3,000 people, 5,000 people, and on it goes. And in fact, he gets martyred. Tradition would have it that he was martyred upside down on the cross. And he said, I do not deserve to die the way my Savior died. What was the difference? Simply this, clothed with power from on high. Let me encourage you there. Absolutely key. Fourth one, quickly, be baptized, verses 18. And um, baptism is such an important thing. And I know I'm going over a few of the things that were mentioned beautifully by Brad last week. But I just feel to massage them in again to have a foundation for the, the latter part of Acts chapter 9. You see, what water baptism does is it actually is a renewal of the heart. There is a, an assurance that comes to our heart and our mind. Baptism doesn't save you. The blood of Jesus does. But what baptism does is it gives you, there's a public statement, a public declaration that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And Jesus modeled a pattern. Jesus got baptized publicly. He came out of the water publicly. And uh, he showed us, actually, this is an act of obedience, that I no longer live, Christ lives within me, and I'm going to stand as a public testimony that I now belong to Jesus Christ. Baptism is key and uh, it is vital to our faith. Fifth one is he was strengthened, verses 19, he was strengthened with uh, food. 
And I felt this was key. Guys, to walk this road of Christianity and faith, longevity, effectiveness, and fruitfulness, could I ask you, Saul ate something and he was strengthened. I want to ask you, what are you feeding on? What are, you, what, are you, what are your mind, what are your eyes, what are your ears feeding and feasting on? Because Saul knew this. He needed strength before ministry. He needed to be revitalized. And uh, Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Why does he say the word true vine? Because the reality is this. There are many things in the world that promise you nourishment, that promise you sustenance, and promise you many things, but end up being absolute heartache and absolute frustration. There is a vine that if you will remain in him, you will be fruitful and you will be effective in your life. I want to ask you, what are you feeding on? John 6.35 says this, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want to ask you, what is driving your hunger? Is it after righteousness? Or is it after the things of the world? So we see five incredible um, things that happened to Saul. And after being healed, praying, being baptized, being filled with the Spirit, and being strengthened, this man, if we turn over to um, Acts chapter 9 verses 20, this is what I love. This is the move of God upon a man. He doesn't sit and start to write letters of justification. Can you picture? This man was vehemently opposed to the way. He hated Christians. He was there when Stephen was getting stoned and butchered to death, giving his approval. This man hated anything to do with Jesus. And here's something so pro uh, profound. He doesn't sit and write a letter to his Pharisees back in Jerusalem, he doesn't try to justify his decision. He doesn't try, guys, you know, I was going this way and then uh, this is what happened and now I want to try this. No, this man was radically, supernaturally born again. And Acts chapter 9 verses 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues. I love that. Didn't try to sit around and contemplate and this naval introspective, oh, all these years I've believed this and all these years I believe that. No. He gets up and he preaches the gospel with power and courage. And I want to encourage you on that. You see, I think, guys, maybe you're sitting in your TV room or you're sitting in your, in your, in your living room. Could I ask you, stop getting, looking for someone to qualify you, to promote you, to confer a title on you, a degree on you, or someone to back you. I want you to know as a born-again believer this is what has already happened. You're already qualified because of Jesus and his blood. You're already a citizen positioned in heavenly places. You're as a son or a daughter. You've already got a kingdom conferred on you. Talk about title. Talk about um, title deeds to a land. You have an eternal kingdom that's been conferred on you. And you have the full weight of heaven behind you. What is it like to know that you have the Father the Son, the Holy Spirit, every single angelic host, clouds of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 12, spurring you on, encouraging you, the church on planet earth, you have heaven's backing upon you in a mighty way. And like what happened with Saul is that people were actually astonished at what happened 
in Damascus. Because the very person who came to kill them and take them prison is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Isn't that profound? Isn't that the most incredible, gracious hand and, and move of God? Don't be surprised, guys, if people are astonished at your about turn, at your conviction, at your faith that you now profess. They are astonished at Saul. You see, you could be this morning known as a violent man. You could be known as a, as a drug addict, as an alcoholic. And you've got a history of basically wreaking havoc. This man, Saul, had a plan to wreak havoc to the church. He meets Christ powerfully. He's now wreaking havoc to the kingdom of darkness. This is what God can and will do when he gets a hold of your life in a mighty, mighty way. You see, as Saul humbled himself in God, as he allowed the Holy Spirit to work in him, this man could baffle all the, the Jews living in Damascus. Saul was given supernatural wisdom by the Holy Spirit living in him. That's what happens to us when we have the Holy Spirit. You see, what I love about what happens here is there is a conspiracy that starts to happen. And... Uh, you know, Satan does not want to see Saul continuing to now preach the gospel that he once tried to destroy. And a conspiracy comes to, to kill Saul. They, and this is what God will do. When we are loving him, when we are serving him faithfully, in submission to his spirit, God exposes the plan of the enemy. Rescue Saul, and they take him from Damascus back to Jerusalem. I love this. The man Saul left Jerusalem, goes to Damascus, to kill the Christians and to destroy, to try to destroy the faith, he meets the author and the king of faith, Jesus Christ. He humbles himself and he starts preaching. And now he goes back to the very city that he left from. But this is what God will do. Picture now, Saul comes back into Jerusalem and now he's trying to join the disciples and the apostles. And verses 26, if we could read together, it says this, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid, not believing that he really was a disciple. I want to encourage you. God will always bring a Barnabas into your life. You know what the word Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. If you want to be courageous, you need to be encouraged. And this is what God does. He brings Barnabas into his life. And how about this? This man was a door opener. Saul could not get to the apostles and the disciples. But this man, Barnabas, encourages Paul, brings him into Jerusalem, brings him into the apostles and the disciples, gives him the right hand of fellowship. And how about this? Due to this man's capacity to open doors, to encourage Saul, this man starts to walk around Jerusalem and preach the gospel boldly and with freedom. See, that's what encouragement does, guys. It brings you into a place of freedom so that you can run and be everything that God has called you to be. Encouragement. It's probably one of the most neglected gifts, guys, could I say, in the church today. If you go look at Romans chapter 12, one of the gifts of Romans 12 is the gift of encouragement. I want to ask you this morning, and I want to challenge you, start to think about how you speak over people, how you uh, speak about people behind their back. Is your words encouraging or is your, word, your words destroying? That's very, very, very important. See, courage 
brings people into a place of freedom. And how do they get courage? You encourage them to be all that God has called them to be. I pray this, uh, this morning that our marriages, we would encourage our, our wives. Our wives would encourage their husbands. We would encourage our children. Do not exasperate your children. Encourage them into the things of Jesus Christ. Why? When you live in uh, encouragement, you become everything that God would have you to be. You walk around preaching the gospel as with Saul. He was around Jerusalem preaching with freedom and he preached fearlessly and boldly. Incredible. So that's kind of like an introduction to Acts chapter 9, the first portion around of you know, just the five pillars. And what did that look like in Saul's life? He was saved, radically preaching. Now we go to um, Acts chapter 9, verses 32, and now it changes, and we now look at the life of Peter. Look at this. I love it. Here we have Saul in Damascus, Jerusalem. Now we have Peter in uh, Lydda going to Joppa. And what was uh, Peter doing? Well, verses 32 tells us that he traveled about the country. He went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Here's the key thing. Peter was simply being courageous, obeying the gospel. Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Acts chapter 1, you'll receive power, go and preach the gospel. And here Peter is, and uh, this is what I love. Peter understands the mission and the, and, the, and the direction that Jesus gave him. He says, Jesus said to Peter, preach the gospel, raise the dead, Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, drive out demons. And here Peter goes to strengthen the people in the Lord. And this is what it means to live with a kingdom expectation in your heart. At any moment, at any time, when we are living in the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, there are moments that it can happen at any time the kingdom breaks in. And Peter walks around and he sees a man called Aeneas who's been paralyzed for eight years, bedridden. And this is what signs and wonders do to people. Peter turns around and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. I love that. Powerful. Verses 34, it says, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Not a, not a man, not a doctrine, not a philosophy, not a religion. The man Christ Jesus is the one who heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. I find this is the most profound thing when people are living in a place of expectation, of courage and boldness, saying, God, use me. I'm available, use me. This man had come to strengthen the people. He didn't know about a man called Anais, but he's walking around with an expectation that at any moment and any time, the kingdom will break in through his life. And what happens? This man picks up his mat, his very world, his very confinement, his very limitation, he didn't realize today, was going to be completely altered forever. Brought into a spacious place, free of restriction. This is what happens when the kingdom breaks in to someone's life. You see, when the kingdom breaks in, two things happen. There's a sign and a wonder. See, what happens here is that this man is healed and suddenly there's a sign what does a sign do? The sign points to someone or points to somewhere. The sign in itself is not the destination. The sign is pointing a place or pointing a person. 
It leaves you in a place of wonder. And this is what we see, that this man is healed. The sign is pointing to the king and his kingdom. Wonder, what does it do? All those, in verses 35, all those who lived in Lida and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This is what happens when the kingdom breaks in. Sign and a wonder. It points to Jesus Christ. But could I say this, for there to be an understanding. Signs and wonders don't save you. A sign and a wonder, I believe, creates an atmosphere of faith. I believe it creates an environment where we are so much more sensitive and exposed to the things of the kingdom than when it's just natural and nothing has happened. But like here in verses 35, you need to turn to the Lord. You must respond to the gospel. When the seed of faith comes forth, you must respond. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, that when anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And it's only in Christ is the veil removed. How about this now? We have a moment in Lydda with this guy, Aeneas, who's paralyzed. He now walks. Now we're going to quickly jump to another picture of a woman called Tabitha or Dorcas, who was a woman renowned for her good deeds and her love for the poor. And unfortunately, uh, from verses uh, 36 onwards, um, right down to the end of 42, this is now the time that Peter's going to be in, in Joppa. And uh, this woman is known for her good deeds. But it's very important. This woman knows good deeds don't so, uh, save her. Good works don't save you. But as Titus chapter 3 tells us, that we've been saved in order to do good works. It's a big difference. Good works, my friend, will never save you. But when we are saved from that incredible understanding of his love and grace for us, from that, we want to not only profess our love for Jesus, we want to demonstrate our love for Jesus. And this woman knew that. In fact, her name Tabitha actually means she knows. And I think it's profound to understand that this woman knows what it means to love people because she was loved by God and is loved by God. So this woman who uh, passes away due to an illness, two people in Joppa hear that Peter is in uh, Lydda. Why? Because the sign and the wonder that happened with the paralyzed guy has gone out. They come to, they come to him and they say, please come at once. And, they go, and Peter goes down to Joppa, picking up from verses 39. And he goes down there. And all these women are showing Peter beautiful things that uh, she would make for the poor and her love. And clearly this woman, Dorcas, was a woman loved by people. I always have this picture of Dorcas, this strong elderly lady, full of faith, full of courage, but just such a heart of love and grace. And uh, she's unfortunately passed away. But we're going to see something profound. So Peter puts out the ladies outside and he gets on his knees. He looks up to heaven. He humbles himself. I believe one of the key things to living a life of courage and a life of boldness is our humility. Humility, I believe, precedes power to come. I believe humility and I believe purity together is what precedes the move of power in your life. Humility is very, very important. And he turns around and he says to the dead woman, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. And I love the way Peter presents her back to the crying woman. Can you picture this? 
you're outside, you're crying, and everyone is mourning and weeping, and there's genuine grief there. You can see it. They loved her. And Peter comes down, and you almost hear the walking down the steps, but there's not one sound of footprints. There's two. And suddenly they look through the door, and there's Peter, and he presents her back to the grieving ladies, raised from the dead. You see, guys, this is what happens when the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom, breaks in to planet Earth. Things supernaturally happen. And what was Peter doing? Peter was full of courage because why? Full of the Spirit. But just simply obeying and uh, following out the call that Jesus Christ had placed on him. And uh, raise the dead, preach the gospel, throw out demons, heal the sick, raise the paralyzed. This is the mandate over the church. And what a privilege and what a calling. I want to encourage you as we, we come to a close. And uh, it's been very good to, to be in your home um, this morning. And for now, obviously, we're going through the digital channels. And uh, we are grateful as an eldership that we can preach every Sunday and minister the word of God to you. And uh, no matter it be through a camera, no matter it be through the internet or one day face to face when the time is right. Um, which, by the way, we are so looking forward to. The reality is this. The gospel is not limited by a digital channel. The gospel in itself has inherent power. Because why? The gospel is about Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you that as you desire to live a life of courage and boldness, know this is that the heart of Jesus is that he would use you mightily and powerful. I want you to know you are an instrument in the hand of a mighty God. If you are saved in his blood, saved and redeemed, you are an instrument that he will use. Humility, faith, response to him, and he will use you mightily. And I want to encourage you, where there is forgiveness, where you're carrying anger, frustration towards people or towards someone or something, could I ask you to get before God and allow Him to heal you so you can see as He wants you to see? If you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, right where you are, you can say, Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. If you haven't been baptized, I want you to uh, get hold of us on our uh, mail or our social channels, or uh, maybe you want some more clarity around that or more questions answered around baptism. Get hold of us. But it's something that we encourage you to do. It's part of your faith and a part of your assurance to publicly demonstrate your faith. I would encourage you in your prayer life. Keep praying God's plans and purposes into your life. And I would ask you to think about what you are feeding yourself. What is strengthening you? What is giving life to your bones? See, Jesus is the bread of heaven. He wants to fill you with his life, his, his sustenance. You know what Jesus turned around in the Gospels? He said this, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. May that be over, over us, that our food is to do the will of him who sent us into the nations of the world. So if you could uh, just close your eyes and we're going to pray and close off. And uh, maybe this morning I've been sharing about Jesus Christ and you have heard of him. You have uh, maybe even read a book or two and... You don't know him. He's not your Lord and he's not your savior. I want you to know this morning that you can get on your knee. 
you can humble yourself and you can simply say, Jesus Christ, come in to my life. Come and take control. Come and take over. I want to humble myself under your name, under your word. And I declare that you're Christ, the Son of God, that you died on a cross and three days later were raised by the power of God. I put my faith in that. I'm tired of trying to do things on my own. I'm tired of trying to be my own savior and my own God. I'm totally frustrated with everything out there. I now need the true vine of heaven to feed me and to save me.